First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we are picking it up where we left off last week. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, unquestionably, and says that in the latter days, latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, <coughs> excuse me, and doctrines of devils. Today, as we continue in our series, Alternate Universe, I want to minister to you on the subject, standing strong in a world gone crazy. Standing strong in a world gone crazy. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you minister to each and every heart? Would you help us to be truly everything that you've designed us to be? Most of all, would you equip us to be lights in these last days? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... You may be seated. Last week we looked at what this verse says will be a telltale sign that we are at the very end of the church age. And that is that people will gradually and progressively move away from the things of God, even departing from the faith by giving in and embracing delusionary and distorted immorality. That's what seducing spirits are. The picture that this verse paints, and quite frankly, the picture that many Bible verses paint of the end of the age, is rampant in morality. Jesus says iniquity will abound. When the scripture talks about lawlessness will abound, it literally means the casting off of morality. And so this scripture paints a picture of a ship, if you will, lost at sea, drifting further and further off course from the things of God because of losing their moral anchor. Said another way, the pandemic that society will face on an ongoing basis in the end of the age is not just physical pandemic, but more importantly, it is spiritual and moral pandemic, moral confusion. As the scripture prophesied and spoke to us of in Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20, the time will come where they will call good evil and evil good. And we are in that day and age right now. But moreover, this verse informs us of what we are seeing transpire in our society right before our very eyes. And that is the clash between two worldviews, the secular worldview and the scriptural worldview. A secular worldview is informed primarily by shifting norms and standards, the shifting norms and standards of so-called science, which most of the time when propagated in the news doesn't have anything to do with science because it doesn't follow scientific law or theory, which is something that has to be observable and repeatable. And if you don't have that, it is not necessarily scientific. And then, of course, there is the indoctrination that happens through the educational system. That is one of the ways in which a secular worldview is, is, is gathered. And then, of course, you have the cultural norms, which change from one generation to the next. And so a secular worldview is something that is always in flux. It is never something that is, is standard from one generation to the next. And those of you that have lived multiple generations, like my friends here on the front row, you guys understand that norms and morality has changed from one generation to the next. And that, of course, is in direct contrast to biblical 
worldview, scriptural worldview, which is akin to and follows after our Heavenly Father. It doesn't change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is immutable and immovable and divine and always, always the standard that never changes. But as a result of this, we have this clash, these polar opposite worldviews that are coming together and battling and vying for our hearts and our attention. And as a result, we are entering into times where Christianity is no longer in vogue. It was in vogue just a, maybe a decade ago or so. You remember when it was all the rage to wear a WWJD bracelet, t-shirt, hat, whatever the case may be. It was cool. It was, it was fashionable. But now it's not cool and it's not fashionable because we're entering into times where Christians are being labeled and considered to be narrow-minded and categorized as outdated and not progressive enough. And to be sure, some of the criticism, by the way, has been self-inflicted by representatives of Christ who have not exactly represented Christ the right way. And they've moreover used the word of God as weapons to keep people bound instead of to set people free. And so before we get on our spiritual high horse and look down at people who have a secular worldview, let us be reminded of the admonition of the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse number 2. It says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, listen carefully, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We must always remember the high responsibility that we have to be handlers and carriers of the word of God, to use it for the betterment and salvation of people and not as a hammer to condemn people and enslave people. People judge how they feel about the scripture and the Savior based on the way in which we, the saints, handle the word of God. And if you look all throughout history, saints have not handled the word of God very well. Matter of fact, if you truly want to look behind the veil of history, you will find out that the Bible itself has been used to kill people, to wipe people out, to oppress people, to keep people down by those that were supposed carriers of the word of God. We cannot handle the word of God deceitfully. The Bible, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. And the word preach literally means to speak on behalf of a king. Do you know we are speaking on behalf of the king of kings and the Lord of lords? And do you realize if you speak anything other than what the king says... If it was truly a kingship, you'd be put to death. Because our job is not to mimic, not to be surrogates for anybody other than the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his word that ought to be in our mouth. It is his values. It is his morality. It is his, what his word says that should be coming out of our mouth. And we have to be careful not to stray from the word of God. My son called me on Friday night, Friday afternoon. He said, Dad, he said, uh, my, my church that he goes to where he's in college, they asked me to preach last minute because um, the person that was supposed to speak can't speak. And so I was listening to one of your sermons, and in, in, in John chapter 15, uh, you quoted the scripture where it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be given you. And he said, and you said that the word ask 
means to demand, but I've looked it up in every single translation that I have, and never once is it translated demand. And so I want to know where you got that from, because I want to make sure that if I'm going to preach, that I don't say something that's in error. I thought that's good stuff. Now, it's good stuff that he didn't want to be in error, but it's bad stuff that he would think to question my theology. I'm like, well, you got still wet behind the ears. Don't you know if I said it in the message, I vetted it. And so I came out and I told him, I said, well, listen, you know, you go back to the original language, look up in Strong's Concordance. The word ask has several different meanings. I think it has six or seven. And one of the meanings of the word ask is to call for or to summon. And I said, and so depending upon who the ask is being directed toward, if it's being asked of our heavenly father, we don't demand we request, right? But if it's being, if it's being asked of the devil, we don't request that the devil do anything. We tell him what he's got to do in Jesus' name. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Demand. Call for. Summon. Exercise your authority. But I thought it was wonderful that he did not want to handle the word of God deceitfully. We have that same responsibility. Too many of us today are trying to fit a scripture around the framework of we what we want it to say rather than what it literally does say. That's not the way it works. The way it works is everything gets processed through the paradigm of the word of God, not through political rhetoric. Come on, somebody say amen. Nevertheless, the truth remains that Christianity, no matter how carefully carried to the world, will be considered narrow-minded, outdated, not progressive enough. And this will be a cross to bear that will cause some who cave into the cultural pressure to depart from the faith. But this pulling power is no different than what they experienced in the first century when pagans viewed Christianity, early Christianity, in the same light. Furthermore, last week we spent considerable time discussing how seducing spirits work, and that is through constant exposure to wrong things until we become desensitized to it, and the wrong becomes mainstream and right. We saw from history the grave evil that this can do by looking back on the Nazis and their attempt to wipe out an entire group of people under the guise of the science of evolution. And the belief that the white Aryan race of people were the epitome of evolution and therefore justifiably superior to everyone else. This stray from biblical truth that in the beginning God created us, male and female. And that we all as a human race are not products of chance, but rather individually and collectively masterpieces of Almighty God led to the great atrocity and practice of eugenics. Eugenics is the study of how to arrange reproduction within the human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Another more direct way of saying that is racial hygiene. Their goal was to wipe out anyone or any human being that didn't look like them. But the seducing spirit of evolution didn't just take aim at the Jews. It made its way down through human history and took aim at both women and black and brown people. These are facts, by the way. This is not political rhetoric. I'll give you an example that I know some of you won't want to hear. Every time you looked at a picture of Jesus growing up, what did he look like? That's not fact. Okay? 
Jesus was Middle Eastern. Okay? He wasn't really, I don't believe he was like black, black. But he was Middle Eastern. He's brown. In between. But yet, all of the artwork and all of the pictures, why? Because what happened was history began to capture or try to slant things in different directions. These are truths that we have to embrace at the same time as we embrace the immorality that's happening in our land. Matter of fact, one historian noted the concept of eugenics expanded on social Darwinism to include a more proactive approach to improving the species, manipulating the natural selection process to purify our nation bloodline to do so eliminating undesirables was portrayed as healing the nation progressive thinking has now devolved devolved beyond the example of the nazis and all of what i just talked about not evolved now into gender manipulation and it is an overt sign seductively introduced into mainstream society by a covert enemy how depraved has this delusionary spirit predicted and foretold in 1 Timothy chapter 4 sunk? Listen to one TV interview with a progressive thinker who was a parent of a little boy. The interviewer asked the parent, who is well known and admired for her outlook on sexuality, as a progressive parent who wants to help her little boy find whether he's more boy or more girl as he gets old, how do you greet him each morning? The parent answered, every morning, the first thing that I do is I go into my son's bed to greet him. And I ask, tell me, sweetheart, what do you feel like today? Do you feel more like a little boy or a little girl today? However, my little boy answers me, determines how I will treat them that day. The parent went on to say, as a responsible parent, I consider it my job to help him feel his way into his gender. It has nothing to do with anatomy. It's all about feelings. Further evidence of the delusionary moral wandering predicted in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is the newest Netflix craze, cuties. Have you heard about it? For those of you who don't know, it is postured as a film to criticize the hypersexualization of pre-adolescent girls. A very real problem, by the way, in our world where child sex trafficking is off the charts. By the way, what happened to the whole Jeffrey Epstein case? Why is it nowhere in the news right now? Perhaps, I don't know, just saying, maybe there were too many important people associated with it. Maybe it needed to go away because it would reveal a real moral problem that most people don't want to admit exists. But the movie by way of criticizing this, shows the exact thing that they are criticizing. By having 10 and 11-year-olds, girls, dancing in scantily dressed outfits, twerking and opening their legs and doing one provocative thing after another so that you feel like you're watching porn. To put children in a movie doing that stuff is morally depraved. This too is part of the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, which, we are now, which are now causing what was formerly known as pedophilia to be redefined. It's no longer called pedophilia. It's called child love. We, we are changing its name so that it doesn't carry the same stigma. It is no longer considered by some to be warped and deranged, but rather couched as a sexual preference 
that is normal. Welcome to the alternative universe that we are living in. And I don't share any of this stuff with you to scare you or to make you sinister or so you will set out on some twisted self-righteous campaign against people who are caught in the confusion. Because it's amazing how Christians default to that when they have truth. You are to contend for the faith, but not to condemn people to hell. On the contrary, you and I are called to love the most confused and the most caught up in sin and lovingly lead them to the Savior to set them free in the same way that the Savior set us free from the sin that you and I were trapped in. Don't let the truth embolden you to lash out in hell's hate, but rather let it empower you to reach out with heaven's hand, the hand of grace and love and restoration and forgiveness and kindness and respect and dignity and all the things that we would want people to treat us with if we were struggling with whatever it would be. This is, after all, the golden rule. And it demands us as followers of Christ who practiced what he preached to the point that he was known as a friend of publicans and sinners. That's who Jesus was. That's who we ought to be. If our message is repelling people, may I submit that it may have too much truth in it and not enough grace. Let me come over here and say that. It may have too much truth and not enough grace. See, the reason why I said it twice is because I heard some of you in your heart. Do you know I could hear you in your heart? Remember the Bible says that Jesus knew what was in their heart. I heard some of you in your heart. Some of you in your heart said, how could there ever be too much truth? Because truth without grace destroys. It is a hammer I use funny examples to show you this. You don't walk up to a fat person and go, you just fat. You're just fat. You're going to die early. You, you have terrible eating habits. It may be true, but do you just walk up and say that? No. Walk up to somebody who has stanky breath going, man, I just need to tell you, your breath stink. I just got to tell you, man, it's horrible. You know, you're killing it. Why don't you do something about that? Don't you think it's time to go to the dentist? Truth has to be. Jesus came, the Bible says, full of grace and truth, right? And that's what Jesus' message was. And here, can I also tell you, it is better to lead with grace than it is truth. Grace allows for truth to have a soft landing, Oh, this is good stuff right here. I love it. This ain't even in my notes. Grace allows for truth to have a soft landing because nobody likes to be told that they are wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they are off course. And sometimes in order to minister to the spirit, you have to enter through the flesh. By the way, it's the way that the enemy gets our spirit every single time. What does he do? Gets to our spirit through our flesh. Right? He pulls us from God by appealing to our outside so that he can eventually poison our inside. Why does the enemy do that? Because the enemy knows and everything the enemy does is the way God does in reverse. And so we need to understand that we cannot allow for truth to destroy people. It's the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. So then why do I share these things with you? So that you can stand strong in a world gone crazy.
And I want to give you five keys. And these are not new keys. There's no revelatory information in here where you're going to go, whoa, I never saw that in the Bible before. We're going to go back to basics. And sometimes it's so important to go back to basics. Matter of fact, in Hebrews, Paul tells the Hebrew church that I can't go on to the deeper things of the faith, but I have to once again lay the foundation again. And sometimes it is necessary to lay the foundation of things again so that we can truly stand strong because if our foundation is not strong, it doesn't matter how fluffy we look on the top, we cannot stand strong in a world gone crazy. And so five keys that I want to give you. Number one, pray every morning. Psalm chapter 5, verse number 3, my voice shall you hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. David wrote this verse when he was surrounded by enemies both inside his home and outside his home, and he was tempted to be emotionally distraught. During this pandemic, we have all seen how it has taken an emotional toll. Everybody sees it, not just physically. I was in the barber chair this week, and I picked up a a copy of the Cosmopolitan magazine. And I'm thumbing through it, and I come across an article. And the article is how to get into a better headspace because global crisis can take a toll. Everyone sees the emotional toll taking on our minds. Hotlines for emotional distress during this period of time have risen nearly 1,000%. There's a 65% jump in online therapy. Suicides are on the rise. Studies have shown that as much as 33% of people polled are admitting that they are struggling with anxiety and depression. The article offers several tips on how to get into a better headspace. Go get a massage. Praise the Lord for massages. I love massages. I don't do massages, by the way. Only one person allowed to massage me. That's my wife. I don't like, I don't like people in my personal space. Now I'm saying like that's just, you know, and you go into the room. I'm just going, I don't know why I'm saying this. Maybe somebody needs to, you go in the room. They got the lights down. They got the music playing. They got the water flowing. And then walks a woman and she's going to massage you. Uh-uh. I don't play. Homie don't play that. Go get a massage. Go get acupuncture. Go get a mani-pedi. Oh, hey, these are good things, aren't they? But can I tell you, none of that is going to take away anxiety and depression and all of that kind of stuff. God's advice is given to us in Psalm 5, verse number 3. Instead of ratcheting up the rhetoric or all these little trips, ratchet up our looking up to the hills from which our help comes from. Prayer is how we look up. Prayer is where we cast all of our cares on the Lord, knowing that he cares for us. Prayer is where we roll our worry and anxiety on the Lord in exchange for his peace. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. I love that. Tell him what you need, thank him for what he's done. By the way, reverse that. Thank him for what he's done, then tell him what you need. And I'm not doing violence to the scripture because this is not like given in an order in which you should do it. But basically the reason why I like to reverse that is because before I tell him what I need, I want to thank him for what he's done. So that way when I tell him what I need, I can tell him in faith, expecting that he's going to do it. And the way that I can tell him in faith is remembering all the good things that he's done before. Because if he did it before, he'll do it again because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And then it says, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. If we ever needed our hearts and our minds guarded right now, it is during this day and age in which we live. And the answer to that, how do we receive that? How do we get that? Prayer. Prayer opens our heart to receive from the Lord. It unclutters our heart from the evils of this world and its pressures. It helps us hold on to hope in a world gone crazy. It anchors our soul in a world that is morally adrift. Ephesians 6 says, praying always. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, men are always to pray and never to cease. Number two, second key, how do I stand strong in a world gone crazy? Number two, read the Bible every day. It's amazing. And what's amazing about this is I'm just going to be led by the Holy Ghost right now. It's amazing about this is Christians make sure they get their news fix every day. For three, four. Some people, they don't, they don't turn the TV off of the news. It's going, got to get my news fixed. Got to see what's going on. Got to make sure, got to make sure. And I, I, I don't know if I should say this. Got to make sure them liberals ain't taking over. But won't go to the Bible. And we wonder why we're in a bad headspace. We're wondering why we are surrogates for politicians instead of representatives of the Savior. Because we're getting more of what they say than what God says. We do it every single week. We hold our Bible up. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become everything that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be, uh, my life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. And I forget, oh, I'm messing it up bad. I don't know why I'm the one who invented it and I'm messing it up. But you know what I mean. We say it every single week. Why? Because it's true. We got to do more than just say it. We got to study it. Why? Because the word of God is where we find our guide to right and wrong, to life and purpose, to guidance and wholeness, to help and hope, to be lights of the Lord and not surrogates for politicians. David said, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word, your word, not the word of the latest media outlet. Your word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path. In this day and hour, it is imperative for the word of God to be in us so it can be our guiding light that leads us down every path and helps us to make every decision. God told Joshua regarding the word of God, do not turn to the right or to the left that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. It is still possible to be prosperous in problematic times, but you've got to put the Word of God in your heart. And if you don't, you won't. Stay with the Word, not with every shifting whim of the world. Need direction, go to the Bible. Need correction, Go to the Bible. Need clarity on right from wrong in a world gone crazy. Go to the Bible. Need hope. Bible. Need help. Bible. Need comfort. Bible. Need God. Bible. Need salvation. Bible. Need instruction. Bible. Need soundness of mind. Bible. Need wisdom. Bible. Need answers. Bible. Need to secure your soul in a world gone adrift. 
Bible. Bible. James chapter 1, verse 21. Get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. God means what he says and what he says goes. God means what he says. What he says goes. I love, I love you get around Christians. So, so uh, do, how many times do I have to forgive that person? So, so you mean I really do have to be kind to somebody who has a secular worldview? <laughs> God means what he says. So, so, so I, I really do need to turn the other cheek and not hit back harder? God, God, God means what he says. So, so is a tithe really 10%? God, God means what he says. So, so, so in other words, if, if there's constant um, bickering and there's constant disagreement between me and my spouse, my prayers are going to be hindered, God, God, God means what he says. See, somewhere along the line, we, we've forgotten that, that God means what he says. And his, his word goes. It, it doesn't change. So, so, so speaking up for those that can't speak up for themselves is something that we are required to do as Christians. God, God means what he says. See, we shouldn't be interested in what anybody else says. What does God say? God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything. Whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey, nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what we do. I love that part. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. So every time I tell somebody who doesn't want to listen to the word of God, even though on the outside they're like, ah, I'm like, you ain't impervious to the word of God. I just, I just snuck something right in your spirit there. I just put a seed right there in your spirit. And sooner or later that seed is going to flourish. Number three, how do I stand strong in a world gone crazy? Quickly confess sin and receive the cleansing blood of Jesus. Some of you are not going to like this because nobody preaches about sin anymore. Believers commit sin. Look at this. Some, y'all afraid to say amen because you don't want to give yourself away. You'd be like, let me say it again. Believers commit sin. Now, now you're just covering for yourself. Now, oh, amen, amen, amen. Because you know, I get it, I get it. Believers commit sin. And if I'm really going to be honest, some of the sins that believers commit are just as rank as those that don't believe in Jesus commit. My last book, When I Fly Off Into the Night, when I'm 59, I'm retired, just so you all know. You got me for 10 more years. No, I'm just playing. I don't know when I'm retired. But my last book is going to be What Does Jerry Springer and the Church Have in Common? You've heard me say this before. I'm going to tell all y'all stories. 
I won't use your name. Your name won't be in it, I promise you. I'm not going to blow your cover, but I'm going to tell all the story. And I've seen them all. I mean, I, I scratch my head sometimes. I'm like, man, this is, this is nut stuff right here, man. How how these people get involved in all this kind of stuff? And the reason why I say that is because being a pastor, knowing that believers commit sin, leads me to be able to caution you, please don't look down at unbelievers who do sin. That's because we have to realize that the only difference between them and us is we've applied the grace of God to our life, which, by the way, should empower us to live holy lives. But I've been pastoring too long to know. I mean, it's amazing to me today. People just walk, they're brazen about sin too. Talk about their drinking right in front of me. Like they know, like the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, you know, got to drink your wine and this and that and the other thing. And, or, well, you know, this is my, this is my boyfriend. Yeah, we, we live together right down the block. As, as if there's nothing wrong with it, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this week, yeah, we, we're going to go on a family trip Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. And we, you know. Would you come to Saturday night service? Oh, no, busy, busy, busy. That's sin too. Hello? If that's your pattern, it's sin. Everybody, you know, does their thing every now and again. But when people make it their pattern... I'm going to get into this in just a minute, show you the scripture where it says that, because anything that's a violation of scripture is sin. Hello, I'm preaching real good. You ain't ain't shouting me down right now because I'm getting up in your business. Sin is not something to play with. It will always take you you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. James chapter 1 verse 15 says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Translation, sin has babies. And babies don't stay small forever. They grow up and they take on a life of their own. Sin is nothing to play with. It desensitizes us to right and wrong. It makes us susceptible to seducing spirits. Its sin is sneaky. Its goal is to trip and trap. Proverbs chapter 8, 28 verse 13 says, He who covers a sin will not prosper. Got to crack my neck for this one. I wonder why more people in the body of Christ ain't prospering. He who covers his sins will not prosper. So what do we do to stand strong in a world going crazy, second part of the verse? But he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Confess it quickly. Forsake it. Ask God to forgive you immediately. And when you do, accept that he will. First John chapter 1, verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank God on the cross he was faithful to pay the price for sin. And thank God today he stands ready to forgive sin and cover us with his mercy and with his grace. But then after you've accepted it, ready? Pass it on. See, a lot of people are are reservoirs. 
You know what that means? It just takes stuff in. And, and I don't like I don't like people who are reservoirs. Generally speaking, you ever get in a relationship with a reservoir person? Just a take, 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 take. And eventually, if you're in a relationship with that kind of person for a long time, you eventually feel some kind of way because you realize you are in an abusive relationship. Because relationships were never meant to be take, 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 take. Because that's that's just one-way relationships. Matter of fact, one of the nicknames I have for people like this is one-way. Why? Why? We receive the forgiveness of God. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. And so here's my question. If we have received the forgiveness of Almighty God, why aren't we, why isn't our first motivation in life to pass on that forgiveness to other people, not just in people in which we interact with, but people in general in the world, instead of our first reaction being to criticize and to condemn and to put down and all this kind of stuff. I'm wondering if we know the forgiveness that we have received. Ephesians chapter 4 verse number 32 says, and be kind toward one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This world needs to come to a place of walking in forgiveness toward one another. Let me break the news for you. There is nobody that is perfect, nobody that is morally perfect, nobody that has pure intentions all of the time, nobody. So therefore, don't have your expectation of people to be morally perfect. If people could be morally perfect, we would not need Jesus as our Savior. And so in order to stand strong in a world gone crazy, we need to forgive. We need to ask God to forgive us. We need to repent of our sin. We need to move on, accept it, and pass it on. Number four, although I feel like I should stay there a little bit longer. Number four. If you're going to stand strong in the world gone crazy, put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I always like to think if that's true, then the opposite is also true. So if I put on my armor, I can stand against the wiles of the devil. By the way, what are wiles? They are mind games. Remember how we talked about seducing spirits, how they work? They work by bombarding the mind. By the way, the Cuties film was a, was a, was a, was a what I would call a, a jab punch to society. It was enough uproar that it got banned from the U.S., right? But it was a jab punch, meaning the enemy said, let me see if they're ready for this. Okay, came back. So now what's going to happen is... More jab punches over time. More jab punches over time. More jab punches over time. Until finally we're ready to accept it because there was a time, I love Lucy days, where Ricky and Lucy weren't even on camera in the same bed, although they were married. And then we moved on to, well, it's okay to show two married people in bed. Then it's okay to show two single people in bed. 
then it's okay to show two same-sex people in bed. Come on, somebody. Jabs. Wiles. Mind games. The enemy's in it for the long haul. He's going to soften you up. Any prize fighter knows. You, it's hard to just go for the kill shot right away. But if you, if you soften somebody up, then a shot that wouldn't ordinarily kill them and knock them down all of a sudden will cause them to go to the ground. So you got to hit them and hit them and hit them and hit them. And those punches, and you know, when you see them prize fighters just throwing them little jabs and everything, come on, man, give them a haymaker. Go for it. They understand that it's a softening blow, the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. People are not our problem. Principalities are, spirits are. I said it last week, start, stop hating on people and start praying for people. I don't know if I should say this. Uh, y'all say that, but then I get to, y'all. When's the last time you prayed for Nancy Pelosi? When's the last time you prayed for Donald Trump? See, the sad thing about it, some of y'all praying for one but not the other. Because you like one and hate the other. And so what happens is, what we don't realize is, people are not our problem. It is principalities. It is powers. It is rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. How do you stand against that in a world gone crazy? Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, if you don't have it on, you won't be able to withstand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Darts, one dart, two darts, three darts, four darts, five darts, six darts, haymaker of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Suit up with your spiritual weapons. Get covered from head to toe. Get protected so that you don't get infected, not with a physical pandemic, but with a spiritual pandemic, which is far more uh, uh, catastrophic. Church, don't be unnecessarily vulnerable. Iron Man was vulnerable when he had a suit on, but when he called for his suit, he's he's not only protected, but he became powerful. You and I have an armor available to us. At the center is the belt of truth, the truth that comes from the word of God and not the ways of the world. Over our heart is the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, knowing that we are right with God, not based on our works, but based on our grace, to his grace in Jesus Christ. On our feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace, our firm foundation that we are at peace with God through the cross of Almighty God of Christ. Out in front is the shield of faith. What is that? That is the word of God, the promises of God that we have confidence in, that we know are true, that we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one on our head. The helmet of salvation. What has been purchased for us? A mind that is sound, a mind that is biblically centered so that we cannot fall susceptible to the mind games of the enemy. In our hand is the sword of the spirit, the word of the God that is so, the word of God that is so true to you, no matter what any Everybody says they cannot steal it from you. And of course, our battle position, prayer. 
Prayer is not what we do only when we don't know what to do. Prayer is what we do. Because this is how we fight our battles. You ought to be grateful when something knocks you to your knees. I love that about God. Think about all the positions God could have had for prayer. Kneeling was his position. Just wanted to say something, but I'm not going to. When the enemy comes, when the enemy comes and knocks us down, in an amazing God said, that's fine, I'll make that into their prayer position. Praise. I mean, think about God. Even, even when the enemy knocks you down, you get into a position where you are ready to do war, where you are ready to do battle with spiritual wickedness in high places. Thank God. Get dressed, saints. Suit up. Put your armor on. Number five, how do you stand strong in a world going crazy? I was hard with this one last night. Regularly attend church. Let me say that I understand that there are necessary precautions. Understand we need to exercise wisdom and not put the Lord to a foolish test. Faith is not walking out in front of oncoming traffic and daring somebody to hit you because God is going to protect you. That is foolishness. But I also understand what's happening all around when churches are amongst the last to open, when two doors down, they can have thousands outside. But when on this property, we are told 150 outside, unlimited in your cars, when the standard is not the same, two doors down, when churches are told you can't sing, when their capacity is limited to 25% or 100, whichever is the lesser number, no matter the size of the building, meaning that a church that has space for 400 people can have 100, but a space that has, a church that has space for 15, people is not supposed to have more than a hundred when beaches are packed by the thousands and churches are not are are capped at the hundreds when rallies for just causes are allowed in masses and no one wears a mask or socially distance when little kids who can't keep their sneakers on or their socks on are being asked to wear a mask 24 7 in a daycare suddenly my spiritual antenna begins to go up and I ask what is really going on. What is really going on? And I don't get mad at people for it because most people don't even realize what is going on. Most people don't wake up going, today, I'm going to allow the devil to use me. Today, I'm going to be part of a sinister scheme of seducing spirits to pull people away from the things of God. Yes. Where's my Ouija board? Where's my cauldron? Where's my crystal? Some people do. But not most people. So I don't get mad at people. But I get mad at the enemy. Makes me want to fight the enemy. It makes, and here's how it makes me want to fight the enemy. Every person I come into contact with, I think, Lord, how can I tell this person about Jesus? 
See, I know the way you want to fight is you want to fight by, by, by shouting something out on Facebook or this, that, on the other thing. Ain't nobody getting saved like that. But instead, why don't you let it really get you mad to the point where you walk up to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and see how you're going to bring them into the kingdom. Why don't you really get mad? Come on, church. The Bible says, not the local news, not the national news, the Bible says, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking, this is still the Bible, by the way. God means what he says, doesn't he? Didn't, didn't, we, didn't we all agree that God really means what he says? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so much more. Not so much less. So much more when? When you see the day approaching. Can we be real for a minute? Who are the biggest conspiracy theorists on the planet? Christians. Oh, the vaccine's going to be the mark of the beast, Pastor. Not going to be allowed to, to, to enter in a church. Unless you have scanned somebody and they got that, that chip on the inside of them. That's all it's going to be the mark of the beast. Well, strange because the Bible said church is going to be out of here before the mark of the beast comes. Same people. Oh, they're just making it all up. I'm not saying whether this is true or untrue. It's not my point. They're just making it all up because they want to control us. Same people haven't been in church in six or seven months. I thought it was all made up. I thought it's just them trying to control us. Where you been, bro? Where the family at? I, I, I seen you on Facebook in the restaurant. Seen you po- I seen you posting about your family vacation to a state you wasn't supposed to travel to. I seen you come back and not quarantine 14 days because it's nonsense. Seen you get on a plane. Ain't seen you in church. Anything strange about any of that to you? Are we, are we pickers and choosers of Christianity? Do we think God is like the buffet menu? Ah, let me see what it gets serving up today. Uh, nah. Mm, nah. Oh, that's liberal. Yeah. What? Where have we gone astray? What, what have we allowed to enter into our hearts and our minds? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. How have we forgotten Sunday is the Lord's day? It's not picnic day. It's not beach day. It's not sports day. It's the Lord's day. 
I don't make my plans and then try to fit church into it. Because God means what he says. You, you, can you all handle this? This is mostly for the camera because y'all are here, right? So this is mostly for all y'all people looking at home right now who got about one-third of the sermon because you was cooking breakfast for one-third of the sermon and the kids were acting up for one-third of the sermon and you felt like you going to church. Pastor, we, we, we don't like the smiley messages. Okay, well, here you go. How you like me now? Thank God for online, for those that have genuine reasons why they need to be careful during times like this. Thank God for the people that don't live close by. Thank God for all that. I met a man last night. He said, I'm moving to White Plains, and I don't have a church picked out there yet, and it's hard for me to get up here. I said, join us online until you find a church. Thank God for that. But no thank God for online watching for people who default to it because it's easier? When did, when did God ever promise easy? When? Pick up your cross daily and follow me. We need, to, we need to get real and see we're too busy criticizing everybody else that we are not looking at ourselves and asking, where have we gone? You heard me say, even before the pandemic, what has happened to the church 1.7 times a month? But yet we're quick to criticize the world. But yet, two doors down, thousands of people at the flea market. But the church is scared to come to the house of God. We need to be in God's house. David said, better is one day in your house than a thousands elsewhere. Churches where our errant theology and our errant politicology gets corrected to come into line with the word of God. It's where we get challenged to think right and act right. It's where we experience the power of God's presence being together. It's where iron sharpens iron. It's where we experience the love of the brethren and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in God's house. How do you stand strong in a world gone crazy? I'll tell you how you don't stand strong. Forsake church. That's how you get weak. That's how you get susceptible. Somebody said, I know why you're preaching that, because you want attendance to go up. Can I just, can I just be real with you for a minute? Of, co of course, in, that, in one sense, I'm so far beyond all that kind of stuff in my life. I'm, I'm young, but I'm too old for that. I just want to see people's lives change. And I just want to see people grow in their relationship with the Lord. That's what I'm interested in right now. I don't want people to fall prey to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let's stand strong, church, in a world going crazy. Would you stand to your feet?